as we look to our Lord in prayer. And our Father, thanking you now for being our God. As Heavenly Father, you've paved the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so throughout all of time, there has been this whole issue of accessibility to the Father, approachability with the Father, access to the Father. Is the Father relational? People grapple with that in the earthly. What we have is now a basic paradigm, Father, and that what Jesus Christ has done is made the Father accessible through his finished work. This is no distant God we worship. This is a personal, relational God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we give you praise for that. So for those whose fathers are no longer with us, minister points of need. Those whose fathers are with us, give wisdom, cultivate those relationships, we pray. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. So again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Central Park, New York City. One of our children had just gone through another graduation ceremony, and so we were in the Lincoln Center in New York to celebrate the occasion. And afterwards, the extended family, well, we began walking down Fifth Avenue and made our way towards the Central Park. One of our Jessicas, we have two daughters-in-law named Jessica. Uh, Jessica had set up a time for us to have a dinner at the Loeb Boathouse, you see, in Central Park. Great setting. And so we arrived on the scene, walked in, large table for all of us to gather around. And I noticed that in the adjacent room, there was a, there was a wedding reception happening. Jewish wedding reception happening. Wearing their yarmulkes. And so I, I, had to, I had to find a way to take a little bit of this in, you see. And so every so often I got up and walked over to the picture window that looked out over this wonderful lake in Center Park, Central Park, you see. It's kind of an oasis in the hub of Manhattan. And um, was struck with uh, the joy and the celebratory nature of things. It looked like the father of the groom was being asked to get up to speak. Now, for some reason, the fathers of the grooms get overlooked, don't they? I've talked a little bit about this every now and then. We are the UFOs, unidentified father objects at the reception. Yeah, been there, done that. Might as well just get up and serve water, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Wear a name tag. And uh, it was fascinating, though. I'm thinking, well, they never have movies father of the bride, or they do, but they don't have fathers of the groom. In fact, they come up with sequels, fathers of the bride. They can't even come up with one for fathers of the groom. But uh, there I stand, and I'm watching this man who is about to give up because, get up because his family had asked him to impart some words of wisdom. This is good. 
And so he looks out over the group, and I am definitely peering in at this point because I don't get to too many receptions anymore because my complex Saturdays. And he lifts his arm and he says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Hebrew word shalom. And he sits down. The request was some words of wisdom. And what the Father does is that he offers scripture. Now, what he does at that point is sets the tone, gives a sense of shape to the entire reception. It was biblically based, it was rich, it was moving, and it was not his opinions. It was God's word. He demonstrated what you and I might explore this morning, directional wisdom. He gave a sense of direction to the next generations. Which is what these 12 verses now do for you and for me. What I want to do is to look at three significant combinations of directional wisdom found in these verses. And see how practically speaking they relate to where you and I are at in everyday living. And that first combination comes out of verses 1 through 4. As you and I, as we honor our fathers, well, consider the directional wisdom we've received. Here it comes. Combining now memories of our fathers' teachings with spiritual disciplines. And I'm going to have to develop that for us. So now we start off, my son. And the ladies in this congregation, all three services raised their hands to say, what about uh, my daughter? Good point. What we've got to bear in mind is, number one, this is Solomon, King Solomon. And King Solomon, at this point, is writing a manual, a regal manual, offering regal wisdom to his successor who will become king of Israel. And so what you will find now in the ten lectures found in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is regal wisdom, where there's a successive usage of the phrase, my son. The purpose is to equip the next generation of royalty to be able to lead Israel wisely. Now, whenever you and I are thinking about the ways in which we want to be able to provide perspective, insight, direction, we've got to understand very significantly who it is we're talking to and what's the purpose. And Solomon's purpose, his purpose is to not only give insight to, in this case, his son, but his successor, and furthermore, he's got the whole nation of Israel on his mind with these ten lectures on wisdom in the first nine chapters. Know your purpose. Now, notice furthermore that as Solomon speaks, and he's offering regal wisdom, royal wisdom at this point, he says, my son, do not forget my teaching. 
Now what interests me at this point is that the word teaching here is Torah. And the word Torah from your Hebrew Old Testament means to point out the direction that one should go. This is going to be critically important when you take that word teaching, Torah in the Hebrew, and connect it with trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. He'll straighten your path. Make it smooth. In other words, paths. You need direction for the paths of life. So now he starts with Torah. It is a directional word, and that's why we're utilizing directional wisdom as our main theme this morning. Now, when you and I are honoring our fathers, which means at this point, I get to talk to men and women alike, more so than fathers. Because I'm not directing my attention to the fathers, I'm talking to the children of the fathers, answering the question, and how do we honor our fathers, who are with us or no longer so? Well, now, we're pondering the directional wisdom that we have received, but we start now by combining the memories of our Father's teachings. And so now, I want you to begin to ponder the various statements he made through the years, or is making. Ask yourself, what kind of directional wisdom have I gleaned or not gleaned? What can I do at this point to be able to gain a greater sense of directional wisdom based upon the conversations of life that we've experienced together? You remember the story? And during the early days of World War II, when the Nazis invaded France, the French citizens took down all the signposts. All of them. So as the Nazi armies advanced, they didn't know which direction to take. I think of our culture. This is a confused culture. And as the culture breaks down in fragments, what we need are family units, you see, that are establishing new directional signposts where we have gained a sense of Torah, directional wisdom for everyday living, that we can offer, not only those around us, but offer next generations as well, who are wondering, where do I go? How do I get there? And where on earth am I going? It's the confusion of life, where the family unit brings clarity to life. But what we need in the family unit is to be able to understand directional wisdom, coupling it with the idea now of Torah, in Solomon's case at this point, do not forget my teaching. He is the son of David and Bathsheba. He's reflecting now upon what he has gained in the home. And then goes on to say at this point, let your heart keep my commandments, he says to the next generation. Now what fascinates me at this point from the Hebrew is that the word keep carries with the idea to watch over or to guard. That tells you and tells me then at this point that what we've got to do is to go inside our minds and inside our hearts and begin to ask what is it that I need to protect from forgetting. Lessons, principles, commands, directives, all of which enrich our lives but the danger is to forget the basic 
everyday life principles that are rooted in God's word that make a difference in the decisions that you and I make over the course of our days. Meanwhile, there is this Jewish father who's standing in front of this large family gathering. And wisely and effectively, he recites from Torah, Numbers chapter 6. And draws out the richness, not once, not twice, three times, capital L-O-R-D is used in the ironic benediction as he prays the ironic benediction over this family unit. And I can imagine now, as they go home, the first thought that comes to their minds with regard to fathers, he talked about the Heavenly Father. He offered wisdom from Torah. You do that, and then you notice then what he has to say at this point. For length of days and years of life and peace, shalom, they will add to you. And when he sat down, what fascinated me was that he said, shalom. Which means wholeness. And to develop further, it carries the idea of wholeness in a world of brokenness. Now, the challenge is, is that as you and I look at the family units and as we look out over life and the issues that people face, this is not merely a fragmented nation. This is populated by fragmented people. And what we have the opportunity to do is to establish now signposts, directional wisdom, to be able to equip fragmented people who are experiencing their own sense of brokenness and a tremendous longing for wholeness by bringing a sense of shalom to their lives, directional wisdom where they need it most. So now, what you're going to do at this point is that you're going to take the combination of the memories of, of Torah, Father's teachings, so verses 1 and 2, and couple them now with your own spiritual disciplines that you need to cultivate and I need to cultivate in verse 3 and verse 4. Are you doing this? Because what I want you to see now is the tremendous balance that is found here between I'll call the internals and the externals of biblical principles. Look for them. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. The word steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. It has to do with loyal faithfulness. Loyal faithfulness. It's used to describe Ruth in the book of Ruth and her relationship to Naomi. It's used to describe Ruth in the eyes of Boaz. He is struck by her sense of hesed. As should people when they look at you and as they look at me. So now, let not your hesed and faithfulness forsake you. Notice it does not read, do not forsake it. Why? When it says instead, do not let it forsake you. Well, the reason is that you and I can experience what I might call biblical drift. It's not so much that we're rejecting Scripture, rather we're neglecting Scripture. This is not intentional, this is more unintentional, and the result is there is biblical drift where slowly but surely it begins to drift away from the decision-making processes of our lives and no longer governs the way we go about thinking. Now Solomon wants to make absolutely certain with regal wisdom that God's word shapes 
the thinking of the next generation, his successor, in the way in which the nation of Israel is to be guided. So he now balances the internals and the externals of life. Bind them around your neck. There's the external. Write them on the tablet of your heart. There's the internal. Now, when we consider then the way in which we honor our fathers, what we want to do is to ponder the way in which we have sought balanced living for our Lord. We don't want an externalized religion. We don't want an exclusively internalized faith. It's got to get worked out. And so now, the internals and the externals come jointly under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you balance the internals and the externals, what you will find then is further balance. In verse 4, you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God, vertical, man, speaking of humanity, horizontal. And now, what you've got through this sense of healthy honor is the combination effect. Memories of Father's teachings, spiritual disciplines that you and I are responsible for maintaining. And I was thinking about that when in May of last year, days before my father passed away. This is my first Father's Day message to do uh, since my father's passing. And he was 93 years of age and what I did was I, I went into his room, and lo and behold, there was his Bible. And on top of that were two books on parenting. I mean, man, I tell you, I mean, aren't, aren't I at a certain point of time now where I don't need this anymore? You know? So I go through the pages, and this extraordinary man is marking how to be an effective father to adult children. At that stage of his life. I can learn from that. That's a memory. And so I walked away. And I pondered the significance of the fact that wisdom is not meant to be a, a reservoir of truth. It's meant to be a channel of truth. Where it flows into next generations. Giving a sense of directional wisdom and a very confused culture as to how to live and where we're meant to go to the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you see, on that cross. Now, there's your first combination. So now, if your Father is with you, find a way to talk about some memories of what you've gained today. Maybe text it if he's away geographically. My family's all over the nation. So the texts are already coming in uh, before I came in to speak between first and second service. But combine that with your own spiritual disciplines in three and four so that you're asking, and now how do I go about maintaining a tight grip, guarding what I know to be true, so that practically speaking I can live a life of honor? You do that, and now you and I, we're ready for the second combination. And that second combination is going to come out of verse 5. It's going to come down through verse 8. The second of all, this involves with direction of wisdom, combining our trust in the Lord with true fear of the Lord. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Be healing for your, to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That was a medical term, by the way, we'll get to in just a second. What I'd love for you to be able to see is the grouping of words here that's found in this profound wisdom. Now, wisdom, the Hebrew word is chokmah. It means literally, as you see in your insert this morning, masterful understanding, skill, expertise. In other words, what we want for the sum total of our congregation, multiple services, is for people to walk away with masterful understanding, skill, expertise, and how to live in a way that honors God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, where he has given you opportunity to access the Father through his death and resurrection. Notice some, some, some repeated words. Capital O-O-R-D appears in verse 5, and again in verse 7, again in verse 9, and you're up to 11, and then again 12. It's significant. But also, notice with me the word all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make, your, make straight your paths. There's the all. It's encompassing. But furthermore, I want you to notice the your, Y-O-U-R. Not once, not twice, not three times, four times. It's used, why? We want to make stuff personal. In these expositions, week by week on Sunday mornings. Not distant. Connected. This is what Solomon is doing for the next generation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. So now let's break it down a little further. Trust. Notice that you and I are told where we are to trust. This is very important. Years ago, there was an article in Christianity Today about Frederick Beekner, novelist, pastor. You would not expect to find an old battered license plate hanging on a wall in the home of a distinguished novelist. But the world of Frederick Beekner includes plenty of room for the odd and the unexpected. The acclaimed writer and ordained pastor loves to tell the story about the plate he refers to as, quote, holy relic, unquote. In a bleak time in his life, he was parked by a road not far from his Vermont home, worrying about his then anorexic teenage daughter. When suddenly, out of nowhere it seemed, a car came down the highway with a license plate bearing the letters T-R-U-S-T. Of all the entries in the lexicon of words that I needed most to hear, it was that word, trust. And to this day, that license plate hangs in his office because somebody in a subsequent message he had given heard about the license plate. It was his own. It showed up at Beekner's store. 
and wanted to offer him the plate. Creating a memory. You're creating memories. So now you are pondering, you are reflecting upon the memories that have been established in your own mindset. So you trust. But the question is not merely trust, but in whom or in what do I trust? Trust in the Lord how? And not fragmented, but holistically, with all your heart, not a portion thereof. And then now he flips from the positive to the negative because he's an extraordinarily balanced teacher, you see. And now the negative comes your way. Do not lean on your own understanding. And he's not negating understanding, he's not negating the intellect. What he wants to point out to us is that there has to be understood what is the true source of wisdom. What is the starting point of knowledge? Do not lean on your own understanding. I remember years ago when I used to speak for university, and I would stand in front of various university gatherings, and you could pretty much nailed down what particular questions were going to be asked by those that were what we might call skeptics. And so one of the classics was, well, the statement, Christianity is simply a crutch for weak people. Karl Marx's opiate of the masses type argument, you see. Where do you go? Well, I remember R.C. Sproul one time in one of his volumes talked about the idea of how to address people such as that. Because you, first of all, point out the fact that there is evil in this world. Why? And how do you maneuver in such a broken, fragmented world such as this, where the ground continues to give way? His approach is that everybody uses a crutch. The secularists as well as the religionists. The question is, do you have a crutch that is truly reliable? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, because if you lean on your own understanding, what do you do then with the unanswerables of life when you've got questions and you don't have answers? Your crutch is going to break when the weight is supplied. No. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. So now Beekner looks at that license plate hanging now in his, in his home office. Do not lean on your own understanding. And then furthermore adds, in all your ways, not some of them acknowledge him, he will make straight your paths. And I love that sort of thing because before I went to Israel, I was looking at, up all the various paths that I could take if I could break away somehow from that iron grip of the tour guide and allow me to go alone. But they don't allow you to do that kind of stuff when you're on a tour, generally speaking. But here I had had, among other things that I carried with me, hiking in Israel. Simple. The country has got one of the best networks of paths in the world. More than 9,000 kilometers are marked for hiking, biking. I love what comes next, jeep driving. But then in the next paragraph, Hopefully after reading this intro, you will learn that finding the way through the paths of Israel is easy and safe, an amazing way to explore the country in a different kind of way. Well now, we're kind of hiking through life, aren't we? And we're trying to figure out the ways. Because you'll notice here at this point, it says, in all your ways, 
acknowledge him. You say, well, Gary, we know in the Bible it says there is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right. Exactly right. We agree. What we have to understand is that, biblically speaking, we've got to look at the context. And when you look at the context, sometimes God uses the singular, and sometimes God uses the plural. When he refers to Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, he's referring to the singular. When he's talking about the decisions you have to make, are you going to take job A or job B? Are you going to live in the town of A or the town B? These have to do with the ways of life. A basic principle for me in living is don't make the singular plural. Don't make the plural singular. Try to figure out what the context says and go by what God's word had said. And I thought about that in a decision I had to make because it takes me back to my own experience of, of being a father. It was July 7th of 2018. Now, my father had just passed away 10 weeks earlier. And now, making my way towards Benjamin and Jessica's wedding on that day, on a three o'clock or so point in time, or three hours before the wedding, I should say, I get a text from my brother-in-law. Your mother has just passed away. Now, you know some of that story. Now, the challenge for me at that point, 10 weeks apart from both deaths, is that I'm on my way, and I'm right now in the Racine area of Wisconsin, where they were doing construction, and they're still doing construction there, by the way. Uh, make life tough, why don't you? And so I'm making my way down to the wedding, and I know then that I am the UFO. I am the unidentified father object, but somehow, someway, I've been identified to get up and say something right before, at the start of the reception. What to do? Do I tell Benjamin or do I not? Your grandmother has just passed away. My mother. Ten weeks after your grandfather has passed away. This is a joyous occasion. We're not going to rain on his parade. Jessica deserves a joyous wedding reception. I'm pondering, I'm thinking. But at the same time, I know that because of modern-day technology and social media, I better say something fast because Ben carries with him his phone. And so I put my arm around him right before the reception starts and says, Ben, I need you to know that now your grandmother has passed away. And they're about to ask your father now to get up and speak. And he looks at me and says, Dad, I'm praying that God will give you just the right words. Now that's the sort of lesson we learn from the principle, honor your father and mother. To simply, among other things, pray for God to provide wisdom. All I could do at that point, similar to that Jewish father, but in a different passage, is to, with microphone in hand, everybody, let's look to the Lord in prayer. And as we pray, we're praying that for this new family unit, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths, depending upon your translation. About all I could say. All I needed to say. Sit down. Begin and end with scripture. Even in the receptions of life, make scripture your Torah, your directional sign. 
What I saw in that Jewish father at that point was that what he was doing in Central Park was that he was offering wisdom for the extraordinary moments of life. When I went home after that weekend from New York, I wrote down the best way to impart wisdom in the extraordinary moments of life is to pursue wisdom throughout the ordinary moments of life. Because most of life is lived in the ordinary. You will not be able to be prepared for the extraordinary if you have not disciplined yourself to pursue wisdom in the ordinary. Do that, and you're equipped for those special occasions of both celebrations and commemorations of the gains and the losses of life. When you honor your Father, your Heavenly Father, and your earthly Father, you do that kind of thing. And in the process of it all, what you will find then is another combination effect. Because it goes on to say in verse 7, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh. Refreshment for your bones. It was an orthopedic term from medicine at that point in time. But what I want you to notice furthermore is that in the second combination effect, it combines trust in the Lord with the idea of true fear of the Lord. Now, that might look like a contradiction in the eyes of people in the culture, but in his brilliant book on the wisdom literature of the Older Testament, O. Palmer Robertson writes, this principle of trust in the Lord may at first appear to contradict the idea of the fear of the Lord, yet the two concepts are meant to complement each other. And he draws an example from Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Now when you and I think that way, then we, better, we have a better understanding of the way in which there is a profitable and positive experience of how to be able to utilize fear in a way that makes a difference for us. Because it's not the fear of, the lo- of life. It's not the fear of loss. It's the fear, a healthy, not unhealthy, fear of the Lord. And you do that. And now you have now brought your second combination together, and you're ready for your third. And that comes out of verse 9, down through verse 12. Because regarding this direction of wisdom, we're pondering, as we're honoring the Father. Thirdly, we're combining biblical management of resources with God's discipline. Honor the Lord with your mouth, with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so he deserves first principle. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. In terms of the tithe, the 10%, which Abram did 600 years before the giving of the law. It was already operative. I thought about that. I spotted in first service. I looked out, spotted Eric Lewin off to the side. 
and the president of a, a bank. As I told this quick story about Tacoa Falls and Tacoa Falls College, the word Tacoa from the Cherokee language means beautiful. And behind the founding of the Tacoa Bible College is this, this incredible story of trust. Dr. Richard Forrest began the school in North Carolina. But after four years, you see, he decided to move it to Georgia. The land, the writer tells us, where the school now stands was owned by a local banker. And Forrest had a total of $10. And the price of the land at that time was 25000 So he told the banker he would give him $10 and I'll owe you the other 24990 if you will trust the Lord. Astoundingly, and I looked at Eric at this point off in the distance in first service. The banker said, I can trust the Lord. And he sold him the land. Now, do you see how trust, as it relates to resources, fits together here? Because giving the first to the Lord is a statement of trust in the Lord. Holding, withholding the tenth from the Lord is putting trust in self, leaning upon our own understanding, rather than trusting the Lord with all our hearts. Which way do we go? All this comes together. And so now, you have the combination effect of biblical manager where, where God is the owner of our resources, we are the managers, and not vice versa. And once we capture that, you then couple that with God's discipline that's found in verses 11 and 12. Notice how this lecture, third lecture in Proverbs begins. My son, regal wisdom. Notice how this lecture ends. Verse 11, my son. He's thinking about the way in which he imparts wisdom so that the entire nation through his home can be blessed. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. That sounds amazing. As a father, the son in whom he delights. How does that work? Discipline. And sometimes discipline hurts. But years ago, when I was living in another state, there was a little boy that was running down the driveway toward the street. His father was in hot pursuit, and there's a car that was moving fast down the road. His father went full speed ahead, caught up with the son, grabbed him hard by the arm, yanked him away from the road, and the son was upset with the father. Sometimes discipline is simply a preventative measure, protecting us from the collisions that are about to occur in life's experiences. And that's why when we get back to the book of Job next week, we're going to eventually find when we get into the chapters that are 30 plus, a new counselor appears on the scene by the name of Elihu who goes against the grain because the prior counselors have all argued, Job, you're suffering because you sinned. Assumption that leads to accusation. Repent and then you will be blessed once again. Elihu comes along and says, there's a different form of suffering than retributive justice. 
There's also a disciplinary measure where God will use preventive discipline to keep you from experiencing even greater harm. Which is sometimes what a loving father and mother have to do. Provide loving discipline as a preventive measure to be able to keep a collision from occurring in life experiences. Now you've made your third combination happen. Combining biblical management of resources with godly discipline. And when you combine these three combinations, pull them all together, you're able to stand up in these special occasions of life. You have so infused the ordinary with wisdom. You're prepared when the extraordinary occasions come your way. And you can offer a blessing to those around you. And they will be blessed. And God is honored. Happy Father's Day. Let's stand together. And so, Father, we are thankful for who you are and thankful for what you've done. And we're mindful of the fact that Jesus' first of seven statements and last of the seven statements on the cross began with the word Father. He was Father conscious. So we honor the Heavenly Father. We ponder what we've gleaned from this third lecture of Solomon regarding the earthly father. We want this kind of royal wisdom to penetrate our hearts and make a difference in our lives. Guide us, direct us. Bless each one here because this is for both men and women how we honor well for your honor, your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.